This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. I'm going to talk about debt forgiveness options, uh, specifically explaining personal bankruptcy and how it works. Uh, and Blair Manton, who not only a licensed insolvency trustee, uh, but also president at Sands & Associates, going to explain how personal bankruptcy works in Canada, because it's different in other countries, certainly, and whether declaring bankruptcy might be the right solution for you uh, to have your debts forgiven. And you've said before that in Canada, the bankruptcy process is nowhere as bad as people think it might be, Blair. But before we get into some of those details, can you talk a little bit about the basics to personal bankruptcy? And I would assume that it's a little bit different in this province compared to other provinces. Am I right about that or is it much the same? Well, you're definitely right, Elaine. Uh, what's different pro- province to province, so the Bankruptcy Act is the federal statute, so theoretically province to province, the same rules apply, but each province has different legislation provincially that interact with that bankruptcy. And essentially, mm-hmm. uh, if you file a bankruptcy in uh, Alberta versus B.C. versus Ontario, there might be different assets that come into play, different exemptions, different things you're allowed to keep. And we're going to go through all of those in detail and focus on what's specific to B.C., but it is the case people can have a little bit of a different experience uh, depending on where they're located in Canada, but in broad strokes, the Bankruptcy Act is a federal statute, so it typically is pretty consistent. Uh, but in terms of what is bankruptcy, and again, Elaine, you did a great intro there, it's generally it's not as bad as what you think it is. It's probably no, nowhere near as bad as what you think. We're going to give you a little bit of insight into that today. But what bankruptcy is, it's a formal legal process. It's a debt solution that allows you to have debt relief, so have all your debt forgiven if you find yourself in a position where you're unable to repay your debts. So the wording in the law is it's a fresh start for the honest but unfortunate debtor. Um, there are two ways you can have your debt forgiven legally in Canada. You know, One is to file a consumer proposal, which we've uh, discussed on a number of other segments. Today, we're focusing specifically on personal bankruptcy. And when you file for personal bankruptcy, the whole idea is you're going to eliminate your debt. You're going to eliminate what's burdening you and dragging you down. And that could be everything from general consumer debts like credit cards, lines of credit, overdrafts, payday loans. It could be secured debts, um, like a vehicle that you owe way too much money on, uh, or a mortgage if your house is being foreclosed, there's going to be a shortfall. Uh, the bankruptcy will help deal with that debt as well. It could be debts for a business where you've signed a personal guarantee that the business has had to shut down and you as the owner or entrepreneur or director have certain liabilities. Uh, it could be debts owing to another person. Um, you know, a personal debt, whether it's formalized or not, um, can be discharged or eliminated as part of a bankruptcy proceedings. Uh, and finally, amounts owing to government. So whether it's tax debt with Canada Revenue Agency, so things like income tax, GST, business tax, a lot of people are surprised that you can actually eliminate those debts in a personal bankruptcy, because in the United States, typically you can't. So it's very different Canada versus the U.S. I think our laws are a whole lot better here. Um, and then otherwise, debts, you know, due to ICBC and motor vehicle accidents. So uh, I often say it's kind of a shorter list of what you can't deal with in, in a bankruptcy, uh, which is things like, you know, child support, alimony, uh, or court-imposed fines, just about anything that doesn't fall into those categories. If you filed the bankruptcy, you'd be able to get a fresh start and leave all of those debts behind. 
Interesting. Um, so again, parameters, who is the person who can claim bankruptcy in this province? Well, the eligibility is pretty straightforward. You have to owe more than $1,000 and be insolvent. And what insolvent means is that you're not immediately able to repay all of your debts. Now, $1,000 strikes probably everybody as pretty low. It strikes me as low, too, and that hasn't changed since the law was originally written in about the Great Depression, when owing $1,000 was definitely a lot more than owing $1,000 today. So we don't see many people that are filing bankruptcy for less than $5,000 of debt, but sometimes, depending on a person's income, their personal situation, even a five or ten thousand dollar debt can feel just as unmanageable as a seventy five or a hundred thousand dollar debt so you know the the uh table stakes to get in, so to speak. Um, the price of admission from uh, the, gu- the law point of view is that it's $1,000 of debt, but typically it's higher than that when someone's filing a bankruptcy. But there's no need to be facing a severe situation like creditor harassment, um, c- collection calls, or even having court proceedings taken against you. You don't need to be delinquent on any debts if you file for bankruptcy. In fact, up to 70% of people that file bankruptcy have perfect credit. They've never missed a payment. The bankruptcy comes like you know a shot out of the blue to the people that they owe money to because on the outside this person's been making all the payments every month uh, but when they sit down with us we say yeah you've been treading water well here but you can continue making these payments for 30 or 40 years be no further ahead or we can decide to formally restructure the debt put all this behind you and then you're going to have a much better future you can plan for um, now a licensed insolvency trustee certainly plays a significant role do you want to talk about that role here and and what you would do for someone yeah, a licensed insolvency trustee is your ally throughout the entire bankruptcy proceeding. So they're the person you're going to deal with. They're the person that gives you access to the insolvency system. And it's important to know you don't need any permission from your creditors to file for bankruptcy. So some people say, you know, I hope my application is accepted or, you know, I hope I don't get rejected. No, bankruptcy is your right. If you owe more than $1,000 and you're insolvent, you are entitled to get relief by filing bankruptcy. And it's typically nothing you need to apply for co- to court to do. So you don't need to hire a lawyer. You just need to basically select a licensed insolvency trustee. And then when you select a licensed insolvency trustee, they take you through the entire process, the meetings, the paperwork, uh, what you need to do to successfully emerge from the bankruptcy on the other side with all the debt left behind. And and before we go any further, if, if you already know that this is your next step, uh, this is the phone number for Sands and Associates. And they have, how many offices do you have now in British Columbia? 25 now. Wow, 25. It seems like every month they, there's more offices that you've opened. Uh, good news and bad news, I guess, but good news uh, that you guys are able to help so many people. The phone number is 1-800-661-3030, and the website, which is filled with great questions and answers, sans-trustee.com, to book your appointment. And the reason why I think it's bad news, Blair, is just that so many folks... Um, get in dire need of help. I mean, it's a it's a crazy time that we're living through and, and it's not hard to find yourself in financial difficulty these days. Oh, and trust me, Elaine, I, I get it, the, you know, the, whatever it's the, the two-sided nature of what I do. So when I speak to people, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of um, surprised the bankruptcy rate is, is so low. And people are like, well, you want people to go bankrupt? No, but I know the debt problem is out there. And if those rate yeah. is low, it means people aren't getting help. So when we're able to grow and serve new communities, we know these are people that are getting a lease on life. They're getting their quality of life back. We're stopping the harassment. We're easing the pain. So in general, us growing means that people are dealing with their problems. The problems existed far but well before we got here and we'll persist after. You know, debt seems to be a way of life for a lot of folks, but at least we're in their community now to help more than ever before. Absolutely. So let's talk about the main steps in the bankruptcy process, Blair. 
Yeah, and that, that's another area where there's a lot of big misunderstandings about how long a bankruptcy will take. I hear it again and again. Most people think, well, bankruptcy takes seven years. Well, no, bankruptcy should never take seven years. For most bankruptcy cases, you're going to be finished the bankruptcy start to finish nine months from the day you sign the bankruptcy document. So a whole lot different than seven years. Now, where that, that myth probably comes from, there's always an element of truth in every myth, is you finish the bankruptcy within nine months. It's noted on your credit report for six years after then. So you're definitely not in bankruptcy. Now, if someone pulls a credit report, they'll see that you've been through a bankruptcy, but a lot of people are actually a much better credit risk after the proceeding than they were before, because now they have no debt. So most people within just a couple of years after a bankruptcy actually have rebuilt their credit to, to a pretty good state. Um, but in terms of how the process gets started, well, the first step is that you connect with a local licensed insolvency trustee. So we're serving clients all over the province now, whether it's in person or over Zoom or over the telephone. Uh, we're allowed to accept electronic signatures, so we're doing a lot of things online to keep everybody safe. But the first step is just reaching out. And quite often, that's the hardest step because you just really don't know who you're going to be reaching out to. You don't know if you're going to feel respected. If your situation is just so dire, there's no solution. All these are things that people have told us they hesitate about before they reach out to us. And all these are things that we train our staff you know, completely from day one to be incredibly empathetic, to respect, to be respectful, to treat everybody that phones us as if it was a close member of their family going through a personal crisis and just in need of support. Yeah, I, I bet. Um, the second step, getting that information from the person and getting the process started, I would think would be the next thing that somebody would do. Exactly. So after the first consultation, so the first consultation, you know, we start off by listening. So, you know, what's the situation? What's brought you to our door? What are you facing? And then we focus to solutions. What can we potentially do to help? And if it's the choice to move forward with either a bankruptcy or a consumer proposal, we say, okay, here's the information we'll start to collect. Uh, we've got various ways to do it, whether it's a PDF form, a physical application form printed, or even an online form that's totally secure and you could submit everything to us through an online portal. But you just start assembling the various information that we need to to restructure your debt. And from a common sense basis, you can probably sense most of the things that we're going to ask for. So we're going to restructure your debt. We need to know who do you owe and approximately how much. So either give us the most recent bills or, you know, pull a recent credit report and we can look there. We need to understand if you have assets. So, um, you know, if you have a car, a vehicle registration, different things like that. And then we need to understand what's the monthly budget situation. So who lives at home? Uh, what's their income? Is everybody working? Are there other circumstances? Uh, and then from there, we're able to put together what the solution should should look like based on the person's unique circumstances. I, I, lo I love this, and I didn't realize this was possible. Um, if, a, if a person's situation is urgent, I can't imagine why somebody why it would be so urgent, but you've got, you've got uh, steps to de help deal with that as well. Oh, absolutely. And why it would be so urgent, Elaine, is, yeah. oh my gosh, the government just froze my bank account. i got to pay rent tomorrow. Or okay, I'm getting it. paid on a Friday, and my boss just told me um, he's got a, a court document. I have to give 30% of, or he has to give 30% of my wages to creditors. So there okay. are people that sometimes come running through our doors because there's been actions taken against them that are going to make it, you know, pretty difficult for them to live. Um, and it is the case that if someone comes in, you know, with a garnishee, that's what it's called when your wages are being seized. You know, if that person can give us the information today, I can probably have insolvency documents ready for them tomorrow, and we can start to be in touch with the employer as soon as we file those documents and put a stop to everything. So it's pretty rare for someone to have a first meeting one day and file the next day, but does it happen inside of seven days? Quite often. If the situation is urgent and people are very comfortable to move forward, we can react as quickly as the clients would need us to. 
Oh, that's excellent. Uh, and of course, that's why you do your job and I do what I do, because I didn't know that. I mean, of course, that would that would make sense. Somebody needing everything to be done right now. Uh, such so great that you guys are able to react so quickly. Um, in the closing minute or so, Blair, are there some aspects to the bankruptcy bankruptcy process that people are still surprised by or that you think are most important to remind people about? Yeah, I think a couple of ones we'll just highlight quickly. You know, first off is it's very possible to keep all of your assets when you go through bankruptcy. In fact, most people do keep all of their assets because the province of BC has set out some really good exemptions that say if you file a bankruptcy, you're not going to lose everything you have. Most people do keep what they have. The trustee is going to explain everything to you. You know, yeah, if you've got the the wakeboarding boat out there that's worth $40,000, you might not be able to keep that through a bankruptcy. But most people with, you know, some furniture, some clothing, medical aids, tools of trade, even a vehicle, they're able to keep those things. Uh, and then finally, just understanding that it's a private process. So okay. if you file a bankruptcy, the people that have to know are the people that you owe money to, the trustee is aware, but that's about it. You know, we're not telling your employer unless, you know, your wages are already being seized. We're not telling a spouse unless you would like us to. Uh, it's generally pretty private between you, your creditors, and the trustee. Excellent. Um, so again, you're listening to Dollars and Cents. You can get a hold of Sands and Associates by giving them a call at 1-800-661-3030. The website is sands-trustee.com. This segment's all about debt mistakes not to make. Not to make, which is such a good idea. Uh, and Blair's going to share some common mistakes that people often make when dealing with their debt. So we're going to learn some tips uh, for how not to solve your financial problems and steps you can take to help get money matters back on track. So first, Blair, is there any general advice you want to share about dealing with debt to get this segment started? Oh, sure, Elaine. You know, there's really, there's no one-size-fits-all solution uh, for getting out of debt, but just the whole idea that being in debt should not be a permanent state. You know, no one should hang around being in debt. It costs money. It often stops us from maximizing our income. It's just a constant drain, even mentally. Um, so the whole objective here is just to say there's always a way out. There's a way to move forward from debt, but there's certainly a few things you can do uh, that are going to make it more difficult to see that way forward or more costly, and we're going to try to steer you away from some of those falls in today's session. Um, so for today, the first thing to talk about is, you know, just don't assume that a debt problem can't happen to you. Um, you know, even some of my advertisements say, you know, money problems can happen to anybody at any time. And it's something that's been proven true in my 12, 13 years of seeing clients directly. Uh, it's amazing the different scenarios that can conspire to take somebody uh, from, you know, the highest highs of finances to have, you know, tons of money, tons of equity, tons of disposable income uh, to the point where they're needing our help. And then conversely, to see somebody really emerge from an insolvency proceeding, uh, leave the debt behind, and then suddenly achieve more in their life than they were ever able to achieve before, especially being held back from debt. You know, what we've learned is under the whole idea that it can happen to anybody is that many of the time, many times what causes a financial difficulty is not an action that the individual takes, but it's something that just happened to them. Things were going just fine, uh, and then life just threw them a big left turn, um, something like an illness, an injury, or a health-related problem, whether it's yourself uh, or your own family member, uh, marital or relationship breakdown, so the cost of separating, the cost of reestablishing, uh, perhaps two households, could be some legal 
cost, it can be just very financially catastrophic when a relationship breaks down. Um, obviously, the classic of job-related and job loss, um, you know, many people unexpectedly, whether it's a restructuring or a downsize, um, you know, they find themselves without a job through no fault of their own. Uh, and then what we're seeing, you know, more and more is just cost of living outpacing income. So as prices go up more and more, you have a family to feed, you need to keep a roof over, over everyone's head. Um, you know, sometimes that can just squeeze somebody financially. And as you look, well, there's nothing you could have done. You've maximized your income, your costs have gotten out of line, and you've relied on credit to, fig- to fill that gap. Um, so really, we just want people to understand there's a lot of reasons why someone could come to having a debt problem, and nobody should assume that they're immune from it. It could never happen to them. And I think uh, at any given time, you can look in our current situation, whether it be a pandemic or out of control weather situations that put people in peril and like overnight dealing with a catastrophic uh, situation that they did not plan for because it hasn't happened in a 100 years. I mean, yeah. this has been the biggest lesson, I think, that things can happen overnight so quickly uh, and we have no control over stopping them from happening. It's just what we do at this point. That's exactly right, Elaine. I think we've, we've all learned, you know, just the fragility of the status quo. Let's not assume that tomorrow is going to resemble yesterday because sometimes it doesn't, as we've seen. Um, yeah. But, you know, what, one final point before we move on to another thing, yeah. to, to, uh, another mistake not to make here is just really don't be focused on your credit report or your credit mm. score as an indicator of your financial health. Um, you would be amazed the number of people that come into my office that have 800 credit scores, 750, 770, um, but can't borrow another dollar from the bank are incredibly overextended and have spent huge amounts of money just making all their minimum payments to chase a great credit score. So quite often, a credit score is completely divorced from your overall financial health, and the people that are the most financially healthy might have a zero credit score because they're just not using any credit products or paying any interest each month. So definitely don't focus on that indicator. It's a great reminder. I love it when you talk about that. Uh, Really, really important because it's easy to get caught up in it. Are there other uh, sort of inaction mistakes that you can avoid in dealing with debt, Blair? Oh, certainly. So, you know, under a big category of financial housekeeping, uh, there's a number of things if you don't attend to them, and it's the whole idea, you know, a stitch in time saves nine. So just by doing a little bit over time, uh, you're not going to end up, you know, being really surprised. Uh, but these things can get away from you if you just let things coast. So, you know, first off, a personal budget check-in. So are you sticking to your budget? Are you on track to meet any expenses? Are you accumulating savings? Do you even have a budget? That's a really good test. And if you do, you should be checking in on it monthly at least. Uh, personal tax filings. Um, so sometimes someone gets scared to file taxes because they think they owe the government money. That's definitely your worst plan to go. And the further, uh, further more years you get behind, the more likely the government is to start taking drastic actions against you, like freezing bank accounts or seizing assets. Um, even checking in on your credit report. So as I just mentioned, don't be driven by your credit score by any means, but it is important to make sure that your credit report is accurate, is up to date, that you're not being penalized for maybe someone else's delinquency on your debts, but all the debts that you are paying on time are reflecting accurately. So it's just a good thing to keep on top of. Every Canadian can get a copy of their credit report once per year from each of the credit un- uh, each of the credit bureaus of Equifax and TransUnion. And I would say skip the extra cost of getting your credit score because it's irrelevant. As I said, don't chase it. And every lender calculates their own credit score. So I feel like it's you know a little bit of a bait and switch when everyone advertises online credit score for a fee, but it's nothing that the banks are going to use. They do their own math anyway. Anyway, so I definitely recommend mm. skipping that. 
Excellent. Um, I want to throw in here too, you know, if, if we've already sort of outlined or if Blair sort of already outlined a situation that you're in and you're gulping and thinking, oh, yikes, I need to do something. This is what you need to do. Give Sands and Associates a call. 1-800-661-3030 or go to the website sands-trustee.com and book that appointment. You've talked a lot about uh, just making minimum monthly payments as a very clear sign that you need to do something different, I guess. Oh, definitely, Elaine. And again, that's in our last few years of surveys, the number one most reported warning sign was just people finding, hey, I'm just making minimum payments each month. I'm not getting further ahead. So it is getting you know, the consciousness is out there that minimum payments are designed to keep you in debt, not to help you pay off debt. And it's not always the case that, you know, the big balances are, are the biggest problems. You know, even a $1,000 credit card bill um, could take you 10 years to pay off if you only make the, the minimum monthly payments at 18%, uh, and you're going to pay almost double that amount that you originally charged. So you can imagine a thousand dollars in ten years from now. I'm still going to be paying it off. Well, if you're only making the minimum payments, yeah, that that is correct. So a huge warning sign. If all you're able to do is make the minimum payments, your credit score probably looks great. Your budget might be okay, but those balances that might be large and looming, um, they're not getting paid down in any sort of a, of a speedy fashion. I know you've got a really good list of sort of the common debt mistakes that folks make dealing with debt. And as a result, it just makes it far more challenging for them as they go through this. Yeah, the, the one that breaks my heart the most, Elaine, I know we've, we've said it a number of times, but unfortunately, I still do see clients that have done this, uh, is cashing in RRSPs. So cashing in their retirement funds. And sometimes they've gotten advice from the bank. And I'm just going to assume it's someone that wasn't well informed, didn't have nefarious intent. Sometimes they've gotten no advice from anyone, but just thought they should do it. And what I'm talking about is you've got this retirement fund and RRSP, you decide to pull that money out because you have some debt. Why this is such bad idea, a bad idea? is first, you have that money saved for a reason. It's for your retirement. And what are you going to do if that money is not there? You're just going to be giving yourself more hardship in the future because that money is probably going to be very difficult to replace. Um, Secondly, uh, many people understand this, but some don't. RSP withdrawals are taxable. So you got the tax deduction when you put the money in. When you pull that money out, right off the top, there's going to be a withholding tax. Maybe it's 20 to 30%, but that might not even be enough. You might find at the end of the year, you think you've done everything right. You pulled out your RSPs, you paid off the debt, and then suddenly the government is coming to you and saying, well, we need a whole lot more tax on those RSP funds. And then now you, you thought you were stressed when you owed the bank money. Imagine when you owe CRA money, how that feels. Um, and folks need to understand, because I think this is why they cash in the RSPs, they think, well, if I have to file a bankruptcy, I'm going to lose this stuff anyway, so you know, let me at least be in control, you know, uh, control my own destiny. And the number one thing for people to know is RSPs are 100% protected. If you file for bankruptcy, if you have whatever amount of money in RRSPs, you know, as long as you haven't thrown in a ton of money in the year prior to you filing for bankruptcy, which usually is not the case, but anything that's been there for more than 12 months is 100% protected protected. Nobody can ever force you to cash in those funds. It's not going to require you to pay more into your bankruptcy. You could deal with the debt, still save your retirement out the other side. And that's the outcome I, I wish more people could achieve rather than having cashed in their RRSPs. Often they end up with the tax bill. It's not enough to clear the debt. They might end up in my office anyway. And it's what a night and day situation to finishing a bankruptcy and still having your retirement intact to finishing a bankruptcy and then starting to save again. Excellent. Um, the next, the next part of what we were going to talk about has been relying on debt as a debt solution. Can you really explain that? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, well, what a lot of people try to do as, as a first step when you find yourself in debt is kind of to borrow your way out of it. So to say, okay, I've got all this debt. I've got it at, you know, 19 or 29 or more percent interest. Why don't I get a consolidation loan? Ideally, it'll be one single payment, which will simplify things for me. And hopefully, it's going to be a much lower interest rate, maybe something closer to 10 or 12 percent, uh, not the 20 or 30 percent they might be paying. So it sounds great in theory, and it can work well. Uh, but quite often, what people run into is they're not able to qualify for consolidation loan unless they're compelled to make some really poor financial decisions for them that put the bank in a much better position than they would have been in otherwise. And these are things like using an asset as a collateral, so maybe pledging a house or a car or a secured investment or something like that. You've now allowed a creditor, if you don't pay, you've given them a direct line to take an asset from you, whereas if you hadn't pledged that asset, they would have a much tougher time. You might be able to take steps to protect yourself, but if you've granted security for something that you owe, again, I see this often with a vehicle. People have a paid-off vehicle. They get a consolidation loan. They pledge their car as collateral. And then sometimes the terms of these loans are if you miss a few payments, two or three payments, we take your car, we put it in storage until you pay the loan off, and we charge you 30 to $50 a night in storage fees, which essentially means we're taking your car and you're not getting it back. So it can be very, um, you know, just an incredibly bad outcome if you pledge an asset as collateral. But also what can be even worse is starting to bring in co-signers. So starting to say, you know, the bank's willing to give me this loan, but I need mom, dad, brother, sister, or friend, or someone to sign on the dotted line to be responsible. You've now just enlarged that debt problem to include people that you love and that love you and want to help you. But if you need to restructure your debts in the per- in the future, like doing a proposal or perhaps a bankruptcy, whoever has co-signed those debts is going to be left 100% responsible for those debts. So my impression, my, my advice is it's never worth getting a consolidation loan. If you have to pledge an asset or pledge a co-signer, it almost always is going to lead to a bad outcome. And we're inundated, and we just have a few seconds left, but inundated with ads telling us who to go to to get the help. And and clearly, somebody like yourself, a licensed insolvency trustee, is the best place to go to get help with debt. Absolutely, Elaine. We're the only people that are licensed by the federal government to actually help you legally restructure your debt, and it costs nothing to meet with us. It's a free confidential consultation. You'll meet with me or a member of my team. Guaranteed you're going to learn more and feel better at the end of the consultation and not going to cost you anything. And here's the phone number. It's 1-800-661-3030. Or you can visit the website, make an appointment through there, sans-trustee.com. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates, helping you get out of debt. So we're doing one of these comparison pieces, the pros and cons of filing bankruptcy over choosing a credit counseling repayment plan. There's a bunch of them, and we're going to go through them. Credit counseling plans and personal bankruptcy, pretty common debt management options that folks consider if you're in a situation uh, and you're looking for a good solution. The good news about this segment is Blair is going to explain the differences between the two solutions. So can we start, Blair, just talking, sort of give a bit of a brief overview of what a credit counseling repayment plan looks like and what a personal bankruptcy filing looks like? Yes, certainly, Elaine. I'm happy to do the segment today because a lot of people have heard a lot about credit counseling before, and maybe they've heard a bit about personal bankruptcy. Um, but oftentimes, we don't know the nuts and bolts. We don't know the actual details, how they might apply to us in our situation. And how do you choose one over the other? What's going to be your better remedy? So I think today, contrasting the two remedies should help people you know, make a good, informed decision for themselves or for someone else in their life that might be having some trouble. So there's a lot of different types of credit counseling programs, but most 
most of them end up doing the same um, eventual output, which is they consolidate all of your eligible debts. So hopefully all of your debts, but we'll talk about that a little bit later, um, into one informal settlement plan. So generally, a credit counselor is going to put together an offer of a repayment plan to your eligible creditors, and they'll approach them on your behalf. So you don't need to go to each person you owe money to. The credit counselor will get your authorization to go creditor by creditor, contact them and see what type of settlement can be made. Your creditors can choose to accept or reject it on an individual basis. Uh, what's important to know is that a credit counseling plan might not cover all of the debts that you have. Um, usually it'll help with credit cards or lines of credit. Um, but anybody that won't agree to work with them, even some credit card companies might say, well, we're not interested in this type of settlement. Um, you know, they're just not going to be part of your plan and might need to be repaid separately. Um, and if there's any government debt at all involved, that's always going to be outside of a credit counseling plan. But assuming all of your debt is something that can be eligible to be helped with a credit counselor, what they're going to do is work out for your repayment plan over a period of a maximum of five years that will require you to pay back 100% of your debt, but it's going to stop all of the interest, stop the finance charges, and then on an agreement basis, stop the creditors from contacting you or threatening you to take you to court or seize your wages or things like that. So it gives you the means if you're able to pay back all of your debt in full, 100% of what's outstanding, a credit counseling plan will give you about five years to make all those payments. You don't have to, uh, to restructure the debts in any other way. So that's how credit counseling typically works. Uh, if it's a personal bankruptcy, it's a very different legal remedy because where a credit counseling plan is based on considering what's your ability to repay, you know, how much debt is it, divide that debt by 60 monthly payments, you can kind of estimate your, your payment there. Uh, where a personal bankruptcy, it's a federally legislated legal process. So it's not an informal agreement. There's no negotiations here. It's something that's enshrined in law that allows an honest but unfortunate individual to discharge all of their debts based you leave all the debt behind and start again financially. And with a bankruptcy, you don't need any permission from your creditors or from the court to declare bankruptcy. You can't be prevented from getting this relief just because your creditors want to be paid. And it's one of only two debt management options in Canada, the other being a consumer proposal, that can cover virtually all types of debt. So all of your general consumer debt, the car, credit cards, the lines of credit, overdrafts, and loans, as well as your government debts like tax debt, student loans, ICBC, um, and other debts like that all into government. So they're different in formality versus informality, and where one is a repayment plan, the other is your chance to restructure yourself completely and eliminate all of the debts. Yeah, there's a lot of differences. Um, and and listen, if you want to uh, stop right now from listening any further and know that you need to take some action and, and either call Sands & Associates at 1-800-661-3030 or go to their website, uh, sands-trustee.com and check out and, and, and look at a few more questions and answers, some great answers on there. They've got pages of good information and then take some action. That's a, a terrific thing, uh, for you to do at this point. The other big difference between the two of them is just the protection that one offers where the other one doesn't. That's right, Elaine. That's such a key difference. When you're doing a credit counseling program, there's no legal enforcement. There's no basically standing that a counselor has to compel anybody to do anything. So if a, if a creditor doesn't want to work with your credit counseling plan, they don't have to. They can continue to contact you. They can pursue collection actions, court actions against you. Uh, you know, usually creditors that are part of your plan, they're going to you know agree to take their payments and not take anything else against you. Um, but be aware that not everyone is going to agree from the start, or they could even drop out partway through if they said, well, 
no, we think this person can actually pay more than what they're doing, and we don't want to be a part of this plan anymore. So it's, again, it's very informal, and it's by negotiation. With a personal bankruptcy, it's by law. The day that you file a personal bankruptcy, all contact from your creditors has to cease upon filing without negotiation. Um, if I hear that one of my clients is getting calls days after bankruptcy, that's the first call I make in my day, and I keep calling until everyone understands Federal law is at play here. It's not me being a bad guy, a good guy, or you being nice or not. This is what you must do. So creditors generally understand federal law takes priority over anything they can do to try to get paid. So that's what's called a stay of proceedings, and that gives you the breathing room, right? A lot of people, they just feel so beaten down by owing debt, by getting collection calls, you know, more than 10 times a day in some cases. So getting all that to stop to give you peace of mind um, that definitely can have some value to it and even more important than that than sometimes you know the the physical and, and psychological impact the financial impact you might have already been sued for your debts you might be having your wages being seized or assets being seized or being threatened as soon as you file for bankruptcy all of that comes to a grinding halt you're being taken to court for payment that stops essentially the next appearance when you say i've seen i've sought relief under the bankruptcy act and everything comes to a hold it's so, it's, that's such a good thing to mention too. I just feel like a licensed insolvency trustee really has your back, uh, against your debtors, against your, um, just that awfulness that you feel, the stress of being in this situation. Uh, somebody like Blair and his team are going to be working with you and for you in the broadest sense of the word. They're actually protecting you from all kinds of things and helping you get on that, that, uh, that good path to being debt free. Um, I also love this, the rule of 60 that we're supposed to talk about at this point when it comes to costs and, and fees, et cetera. And it's such a good rule for people to take a look at their stuff with. Yeah, so the rule of 60 uh, is when you're trying to estimate if I could do a credit counseling plan, if I got you know enough debt trouble that that wouldn't be viable for me, just take your unsecured debt, so take your credit card, lines of credit, income taxes, whatever it might be, or sorry, not income taxes, credit cards, lines of credit, um, things along those lines, divide it by 60 and then say, is that a payment I could afford? Because that's essentially what your credit counseling payment is going to be. So if it was $30,000 of debt, divide that by 60, well, it's a $500 a month, give or take. That's what you're going to be looking at um, to deal with, with your debts in a credit counseling plan. Um, a bankruptcy is completely different in terms of how your payments are calculated. So where credit counseling is based on you paying back a certain uh, amount of debt at 100% repayment, a personal bankruptcy, it's essentially divorced from the amount of the debt. So it could be a $10,000, $100,000, or a million dollars worth of debt, uh, what you have to pay in a bankruptcy is all driven by your income. And the government sends out each year what are the low income guidelines to determine essentially which scenario someone would fall into if they were to file for bankruptcy. And in 2021, it's roughly around $2,400 of take home income per month. Um, as a single person, if someone is earning less than that, regardless of the amount of their debt, if they're in bankruptcy, it's going to be over in nine months. So again, compare that to a five-year repayment plan and credit counseling. The bankruptcy is over in nine months. And what they pay, regardless of the amount of the debt, is $200 for each of those nine months for a total of $1,800. And that's all they would have to pay as part of the bankruptcy proceeding.
The thing I want to throw in here, and I know this is right at the end of the, the information for this segment, Blair, is that if somebody's listening and going, okay, well, uh, uh, credit counseling's not going to work for me and bankruptcy, I don't think I need to do that. Also, the license insolvency trustee is the only one that can walk you through a consumer proposal as a, as another third option for you, uh, if you're really wanting to take some action here and, and are, aren't comfortable with the other two. Yeah, and that's exactly right, Elaine. So anytime you sit down with a trustee, we're going to evaluate the personal bankruptcy. We're also going to help you understand how a consumer proposal might work. And if you're not sure what a consumer proposal is, just keep listening to our show. We talk about it very regularly. It's a very powerful debt option. I'll also throw in the fact that you can check it out on their website, sans-trustee.com. And if you're wanting to take some action, book that appointment. You can do that online, or you can give them a call at 1-800-661-3030 for that first consultation. You're listening to Dollars and Cents with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates, helping you get out of debt. So this segment's all about a debt problem warning signs and where you can get professional help. So without obvious indicators of trouble, because I'm sure that can be often the case, spotting a debt problem isn't always the easiest. And according to Sands & Associates president and our very own BC License Insolvency trustee, Blair Manton, lots of consumers don't even recognize the financial warning signs. Uh until it's a financial crisis and you're right in it. So let's learn about key debt cautions and where to get help with a debt problem. So first, Blair, can you share a bit about why it's so important to keep up with our personal finances and stay ahead of that debt? Well, certainly, Elaine. And from my experience, um, the really important thing to know is that most people underestimate their debt problem, at least for a period of time. Um, I think it's just typically we think it can't happen to us. Uh, we think, you know, next month we're going to get further ahead. And sometimes we just get used to being in that constant cycle of making debt payments, the cycle of borrowing, we're making all the minimums, but then we're charging more into the cards. Um, and then a lot of people don't realize how close they actually are to a financial crisis until some external event comes, something outside of their control, and really puts a shock to their system, and they just don't have the resilience to recover from something like that. So, you know, the typical ones that we see all the time, a marital breakdown, um, illness or injury, whether it's for you or for a family member, uh, job-related issues, um, you know, all of these things um, can, can trigger a cash crunch. Um, and you may not realize how much of an impact a financial problem can have if you've never been through one. From our research with our clients, we do a detailed survey every year uh, of almost 2,000 of our clients with detailed responses. Uh, they say, you know, the impact or overwhelming stress, anxiety, and depression, even to the extent of one in six people say they contemplated suicide um, because they just didn't see any way out of their financial difficulties. Uh, people constantly think about their finances and their debt, and that triggers, you know, crises of self-esteem, putting life events on hold, uh, and then, you know, the physical manifestations of poor sleep, high blood pressure. So the thing that we really would want people to do at Sands and Associates, and the reason why we do this show is to really encourage people to reach out before it gets to that point. Um, you know, if you're starting to feel like you have a debt problem, you've probably had a debt problem for a period of time, and it's really impacting your life in more ways than you, you probably can see uh, right as, as you look in the, in the moment. 
That's such good information, Blair, because I think so many people think they're all alone in this. But those kinds of numbers and that kind of information just shows that you're not. You're not alone. There's lots of people who get into these situations, and there's a really great way to then see yourself out of it. So can you talk more about some of the warning signs that we should be aware of? Uh, I guess warning signs that we are ha- we are in financial problems and we have a debt issue and we need to take some action? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, we've talked a lot, Elaine, about, you know, uh, some of the more obvious warning signs. We'll say, you know, if you're missing your payments completely, if you're getting collection calls, if your wages are being seized, that's pretty straightforward. Yeah, you've got a debt problem you need to deal with, but there are some warning signs that can creep up as a slow build, and you might not even know it's a warning sign until you've been doing it for a period of time. Uh, one of the main ones that falls into this category is only making minimum payments, and this was the most reported warning sign in our most recent survey of our clients. That that's how people knew they had a debt problem, and it's for good reason, because when you're just making minimum payments on a credit card or, heaven forbid, you know, a payday loan or an installment loan, you're servicing the interest, you're keeping the account current, and your credit rating probably looks okay, but you're not actually getting anywhere. You're not paying down the debt, um, and you're probably going to pay thousands in interest charges and keep you in debt for years uh, if all you're making is just that minimum payment each month. You know, we've seen uh, credit cards for the last, I want to say, seven or eight years. They've had that disclosure of, you know, how long it's going to take for you to pay off the debt if you only make the minimum payments. You know, we see 20, 30, 50, even over 100, 150 years sometimes on these statements. Uh, and, you know, our guideline is anything more than five years is, is too long to be stuck in debt. So if you're looking at your statement, you know, sometimes even a $1,000 debt can be 18 years to pay off depending on the interest rate. Um, you know, you need to either decide, I'm going to be able to pay a whole lot more than the minimum, um, or you need to be getting some help. But only making minimum payments is just a huge warning sign. And I want to throw in at this point, too, that if this situation sounds like you or if Blair's just described your situation, Sands & Associates is easy to give a call to. It's 1-800-661-3030 or check the website sands-trustee.com and make that appointment. Um, can we talk about the pay, the uh, continuing to use credit cards? And that's got to be an issue or credit in period, I guess. Yeah, and this is often symptomatic of, of a larger problem because I often meet with people and I see they've got a few credit cards and then they've got a consolidation loan. And when I talk to them about, well, how'd the consolidation loan come around? Oh, well, the credit cards were maxed out. So we went to the bank. They agreed to consolidate a lower interest rate. Uh, so that's why well, all the cards were at zero at that point. Yeah but now they're back up to where they were, yeah. Mm. And we, as we dig in deeper, we often find the issue is there's an imbalance in the budget um, that was never looked at seriously. And the person every month is just going further and further into debt. And there's the old adage, if you find yourself in a hole, what's the first thing you do? Well, you stop digging. Um, and yeah. if we look at a number of clients, unfortunately, um, you know, whether it's structural, it could be things like you know rent payments, car payments, things that are a little bit difficult to change, um, or whether it's just you know some... Um, frivolous is the wrong word, but some more discretionary um, overspending. It's only by shining a light, I'm really looking in detail on that budget, can you pinpoint how the person's gotten into trouble and then also put a stop to it because, you know, for the person that I've spoken to, spoken about here with the example of the consolidation and the credit cards, yeah, we can probably help them with a consumer proposal, but if that budget imbalance hasn't been corrected, well, by the time they pay off that consumer proposal, they might be in debt again and need our help. That's not what we're looking to do. Um, so definitely the continuing 
willing to use credit, um, you know, that's a huge warning sign to be aware of. Um, you know, if you're not able to have a budget that balances, forgetting about all the credit payments, if you're relying on credit to make your budget balance each month, um, that's a huge, more subtle, but very huge warning sign that financial difficulty might be in the future. Can you talk about the rule of 60? Because that sort of is a nice dovetail from that. Yeah, and that's the whole idea that, you know, debt should not be a perpetual thing in your life. Um, so we ask people, you know, just to do a quick check-in. Anybody listening can do this, you know, in the space of, you know, probably 10 seconds if you have your information close to you. But add up all of the debt that you have, your non-mortgage debt, your non-car loan, but things like credit cards, lines of credit, student loans, income taxes, so on and so forth, and divide that by 60. So let's say it's $24,000 of debt that you have. You divide that by 60, that's $400 a month, and then ask yourself, if I had to pay off $400 a month, could I do that? Could that fit in my budget? And if you're saying, well, I couldn't afford half that or a quarter of that, well, then realistically, five years from now, you're going to be further in debt than you are now, and it's probably a great indication you should seek some help because a consumer proposal, um, at most, it would be the $400 a month to pay everything off in full, but quite often, it's going to be a portion of that. It might be a half or a quarter, but it's only by seeing, okay, under my current steam, can I get out of this on my own by seeing that that's not possible? possible, that's when you start to reach out for some help. Yeah, and let's talk, let's let's wrap this segment up with uh, some more ideas around that, the kind of help and support that a licensed insolvency trustee like yourself can offer someone. Well, definitely, you know, a lot of people, they delay reaching out because they think that they're going to be judged, they feel embarrassed uh, and ashamed. Um, and sometimes, you know, it's well-meaning friends or family members that, you know, are almost pushing somebody or pulling somebody to get debt help. And really, it's a personal decision. You can't force somebody to get help. Uh, but people need to realize when they come to see a licensed insolvency trustee like Sands & Associates, they're going to get empathy. They're going to be treated with dignity and respect. Uh, we know there, but for the grace of God, goes anybody. Anybody could find themselves in financial difficulties. And quite often, it's well beyond an individual's control. When we drill down and think, you know, there's nothing I could have done different as a professional. And this person is in my office, um, you know, with a very difficult debt situation. So the, the less time we can spend beating ourselves up and judging ourselves, the more we can spend on finding solutions. Um, you know, that's the way that we can help people get back on track. So that's so good. And I just want to say, you know, if you, if you feel like you're ready to get started with a debt-free plan, you can easily book your free debt consultation with Sands & Associates by giving them a call at 1-800-661-3030 or visit their website, sands-trustee.com. And I just want to say the website's fabulous. There's so many great questions and answers, easy to understand answers if you're just wanting a bit more information before you take that next step. You've been listening to Dollars and Cents. See you next time. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.